a story this morning about a man named Michael Sifre. Mike adventure, and he decided to move and live into a cave in Texas for six months. Six months in this cave, no contact with the outside world. He also didn't wear a watch. He didn't know when the sun was coming up or going down. He had no sense of time while he was in this cave. He decided to do this as an experiment. He was actually studying geology and studying caves and doing some other things. But in the midst of this, he began to discover some other things about himself and discover some things about being isolated. And one of the things he learned was that his biological clock actually to a 48-hour cycle where he would actually be awake and doing for 12 hours with no light cues and no watch or anything. He found a, a different type of rhythm that wasn't based. The other thing he discovered was that about two months into the isolation, he was having a hard time thinking. Like, he couldn't connect thoughts. He couldn't string together coherent thoughts and sentences. Maybe you felt that way in the quarantine period that we've been in as well. You know, my wife, Heather, would say to me, hey, what day is it? And I'd say, uh, I don't know, it's Blur's Day. You know, one of the days of the week, I don't know which day it is. And so, again, that's part of it. They've actually done studies of people living at the South Pole uh, during the winter, and they found that they've reached this point where they can't actually think straight. So that's, So if you've been feeling that way recently, good news to know that's normal uh, for those of us in isolation. And also, the other thing that he found himself doing, uh, Michael tried to befriend a mouse in the cave uh, unsuccessfully because the mouse kept running away from him. So, but he tried to develop a relationship with the mouse, right? And so that's because you and I, all of us, are wired for a relationship to make a connection with other people. We are social creatures, and living in isolation is not the way that we were created to be. They've also discovered, uh, again, plenty of research on this, of the effects of isolation upon people. Social isolation leads to increases of depression, anxiety, again, cognitive thinking problems, which we heard about that Michael discovered as well. They've actually done studies late, longitudinal, so long-term studies. They find that these cognitive effects sometimes kick in two to four years later after that time of being socially isolated, that those continue to linger afterwards. And we'll probably be seeing the effects of our COVID quarantine for years to come, and sociologists will be studying it. The other biological effects, the health effects, are increased in heart disease, increase in stroke, and 50% increase in dementia in the future, especially among older adults. The other thing that happens, too, from a brain point of view, is they discovered that when we live in social isolation, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. And that is the part of our brain that processes emotions. And it actually shrinks, which makes a lot of sense, that if you're not using it, if you're not interacting with other people, having to process emotions that are often triggered by other people, uh, then that part of our brain shrinks. Today, though, we have, we have uh, online so we can stay connected to a certain degree. We have social media, so we can stay connected, and we can certainly engage in some emotional processing with some of the things we see in social media as well. So one thing to be clear about here today, though, that whatever isolation we're experiencing, whatever feelings of aloneness we're, feel, we're feeling, it's a matter of being physically isolated or socially isolated. You and I can be physically isolated, but still connecting with people online, connecting with friends on online, email, phone calls, FaceTime, video chats, so we can stay connected. But there's also emotional isolation. 
social isolation, which is where I can be around people, but be emotionally isolated from them. This is where loneliness comes in. This is where we feel loneliness happen. And we're actually going to take a look at a story today in the Bible about a woman who experienced emotional isolation. Her name's Hagar. And we're going to look at the story of Hagar. And a little background as before we get into the story is one is Hagar is a servant to a woman named Sarai. And Sarai is married to her husband, Abram. At this point in the story, if you may have heard of Abraham or Sarah, their names get changed in the future. So this is before their names are changed. So we have Sarai and Abram. And Hagar is the servant to Sarai. That meant that Sarai and Hagar spent every day together. Uh, Sarai would have been responsible for the whole household, and Hagar was a a maid, a servant to her to help her run the household. So they worked together every day. They were co-workers to a certain degree, even though uh, Hagar was very much under her and serving her needs and what she wanted. Um, But they probably spent a lot of time together. So they had some kind of relationship together. The other thing that's happening here in the story is that you'll see that Hagar is actually given to Abram as a wife. And the reason is, as we'll find in the story today, is because this is an issue of surrogacy. Uh, A lot of times in the Bible we'll read about multiple relationships, marriages, and we think of, oh, see, there's polygamy in the Bible. This is actually more a case of surrogacy than polygamy. Because the practice of surrogacy in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, was actually part of the practice today. Today, uh, we would, if, we, if a person could not have a child, they would go in vitro, get a consultation, go in vitro fertilization, or they might go to an actual surrogate mother, or they might go to adopt a child. And so there are other options on the table for us today that weren't on the table for Sarah, Sarah and Abram. And so Hagar becomes the surrogate for the, their child. And the other thing to keep in mind that is that they are about 86 years old. So it's very hard to have a child in your old age. And so Sarah, as you'll see, takes matter into her own hands to help make sure that they have a child. Anyway, I'm in Genesis chapter 16. You can pull out your Bible if you have one, or you can look on your app. There's a Get a Bible app, and, or you can follow right along on the screen. The scripture is going to be right here on the screen for you. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. 
And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Ber Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86, year old, 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And so we see in this story, uh, this surrogacy situation, where Sarai provides a child through her servant, Hagar. But Hagar's pregnancy and her attitude created conflict with Sarai. So much that Sarai then, actually another translation of this passage says, humiliated her treated her so harshly that she could not stand it anymore. You have had a boss who you just couldn't work for anymore, right? That's Hagar. She couldn't take it anymore. She had to leave the household. So she runs away into the desert, and she's on the road to Shur. Now, Shur wilderness is a wilderness. It's a desert wilderness, not like pine trees and uh, streams. It's a desert wilderness. It's on the Sinai Peninsula. And from the land of Canaan where they lived, to Egypt, her home country, is a 500-mile road through the wilderness, the Shur wilderness. And this would have been a hard journey and very barren journey. We actually don't know if she's going back to Egypt or not. She actually doesn't say where she's going. She, maybe she doesn't know where she's going. So we find Hagar in the wilderness by a spring, no future, no hope, totally physically isolated because she began to be estranged and emotionally, socially isolated from her household. And so she finds herself all alone. But is she alone? Was she alone? Actually, she wasn't. What she discovers is that she wasn't alone at all. (laughs) Here in the middle of the wilderness is where God finds her. Actually, not God finds her. God was with her the whole time. Maybe it's more that she finds God. She recognizes God. Now that everything else has been stripped away from her, she now can turn to God and be seen by God for the first time, maybe in her life. She's probably heard about God, heard things about God from others, maybe even heard about God in the household of Sarai and Abraham. But now she gets to encounter God for herself. But it's not until she's away from the busyness and the day-to-day tasks then and in the isolation and in the aloneness does she connect with God. And a stranger shows up, right? A messenger from God. Any messenger from God is an angel. And it would have been likely that Sarah, uh, Hagar, when she first encountered, probably just thought this was another person coming up to her at the well, a spring. Because angels in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures often show up as messengers. But she quickly recognizes this is a messenger from God. This is an angel. And they have this conversation, and the angel gives her a message from God that says, go back to your household. And one reason to go back to your household is because your future is actually in jeopardy by being alone in the wilderness. She would, that her likelihood of survival would have been very low at this point. 
And so for her to go back to a, her household is actually a matter of survival. And the future of her, her pregnant son was also in the, in the lurch, so to speak. Now, her also, her social status would have been elevated because of her marriage to Abram. And here's the good news for her. Her son, when born, is not going to be a servant. He's going to actually be part of a great nation that God will bring about in the future. So this is a great message of hope for her in the wilderness, in the isolation from the angel, from the messenger, from God. So this is good news to Hagar, and so she heads back home. Notice, though, what she calls this place. What she, actually, not this place, but she, what she says about God here. In the Hebrew, it says El Roy. El Roy in Hebrew means the God who sees me. Hagar now feels and knows that she has been seen with God. She's had an encounter with God. And she knows now that God cares for her, hears her prayers, sees her in a new way, and she recognizes that God is with her and sees her and knows her better than she knows herself. And that's good news for Hagar. Good news that in her isolation, she recognizes and connects with God who sees her and knows her. I hope you know that today, that God sees you and knows you. Now, one of the reasons that maybe she was able to have that encounter is because she got away from her day-to-day tasks, busyness, distractions. And she's all alone, maybe for the first time in her life, for a long period of time. We don't know how long she was out there, weeks, couple months, We don't know how long she was in survival mode. And yet she encounters God in the isolation. That maybe sometimes God shows up and meets us in our isolation. You know, past couple years, the number of people hitting the trails, hiking in the state of Washington has doubled. Almost a million people are out on the trails. And if you've gone out hiking recently around the Seattle area, you know that because you've had a hard time trying to find a place to park. A lot of people are out there hitting the trails, getting out of the city. And part of the reason we go out there on the trails is probably not only for the great views that we get when a clear day, when it's not smoky, but also because we get away from the distractions. We get away from the busyness. We get away from those things that are constantly pulling at our attention. And in those moments, we begin to connect and reconnect to the Creator the one who created everything. And so we see these beautiful things and we see the mountains and we see the forests and we see the wilderness and we begin to connect with God in a new way. Whether we realize it or not, we are seen by God and we're seeing God. (laughs) We're recognizing God. And that's the importance of doing that because distractions are stripped away. And that's what's happening possibly with Hagar. She's encountering God for the first time because of her isolation. So there's a benefit to isolation is that it can reconnect us to God, even though we still need those social relationships that we talked about earlier. The other thing that's going on here, really, we have to pay some attention to is Sarai. Sarai, on the other hand, is not encountering God. She and Abram encountered God uh, some time ago, about 10 years ago, but it's like she's forgotten that encounter. Because, see, 10 years before that, they had moved to Canaan because God had said to them, you're going to be the parents of a great nation. You're going to have a son. Ten years later, they've moved. They've relocated. Nothing's happening, right? 
Where's the son that we were promised, God? God, why aren't you doing something? Where is the son that you promised us? And so Sarah devises her own plan. Instead of listening and waiting on God's plan, she actually enacts her own plan. And what Sarai ends up doing was Sarah falls into this trap that often we fall into. Sarah was trying rather than trusting. She was trying to do it herself without trusting God, without letting God be a part of it. And so she was trying to solve the problem herself. A lot of times we do that, right? When God's, we don't think God's there or God's acting or God's with us, what are we trying to do? We try and solve the problem ourselves on our own effort. We come up and devise our own plans, but you can see Sarah's plan is, is just brokenness, ends in brokenness, ends in broken relationships, ends up in estrangement probably between her and Abraham. We see the estrangement, the problem, the brokenness between her and her husband. We see it between her and Hagar. We see it all the way around. And so this brokenness invades her family because she tries to do things on her own. She tries to do it her way. She's trying. She's trying desperately. She's trying hard, but she's not trusting God. And it's so important. You know, there's a famous author, Christian author. His name's Dallas Willard. He's written a lot of books. And one of the books that he wrote was about how we hear God, how we recognize God and know God and know that God is with us or hear God's voice in our lives. And he wrote this great quote I want to share with you from his book, Hearing God. He says this, If we really want to run our own lives without any interference from God, our very perceptual mechanisms will filter out his voice or twist it to our own purposes. That's the trap, right? Is that if we really would just want to do things on our own, we really want to do it our way, what's going to happen is we'll do these two things, right? We'll either filter out God's voice, and we can't hear God's voice because we're too busy trying. We're too distracted trying to solve our own problems on our own. Or we'll assume that we'll, in our problem solving and in our plan, God is, we'll say, God, bless my plan. God, do what I want you to do, what I want to do, right? And so then we, we begin to assume that God is saying exactly what we want to hear. That's the trap as humans to do that. And we think we can solve life's problems without God's presence, without God's <laughs> intervention. So we've got Sarai, who's been trying but not trusting. And we've got Hagar, who is totally at the mercy and needs to trust God. And it's in that moment of isolation, it's in that moment of total survival that God takes care of her and hears her and says, I got this. I'm with you. I see you. I care for you. I hear you. When God shows up and is present to us, that's powerful. And that's where Hagar is. Where are you today? Are you more in the mode of Sarai, trying to solve it yourself under your own effort, trying your hardest to figure everything out without God? Or are you trusting and know that God is present with you and hears you and sees you. Do you know that that's true right now? Wherever you're at, do you know that right now, wherever you're at, in your pajamas, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your living room, if you're in another state or across the country, or even in, we, we've had folks from the Philippines joining us, wherever you're at right now, maybe you're replaying this message later in the week. Do you know that God is with you right now? Right in this moment? Let me give you an example. 
want you to look around your room right now. Look around and find five things that are blue. Five things that are blue in your space, wherever you're at right now. So if I do this right now, I can see there's a blue extension cord. There's blue on a Lysol bottle here. Uh, there's blue in some of the lights behind me. There's, blue, there's a blue light on our speakers. So do that right now in your room. What are five blue things? Right? Take a moment to do that. And as you look around the room and you see these blue things, here's my question. Why didn't you see them before? They were always there. They were always present to you. But see, you filtered them out because you were paying attention to other things. Because you were distracted by the computer screen or hopefully this message if you haven't already checked out. But you were distracted, right? But they were always there. Those blue things were there, present to you. If you bought a new car recently, if you ever bought a new car, a used car, you notice that as soon as you get in and start driving around, hey, everybody's got the same car that you got. You, you noticed the car everywhere because, again, you were not aware. They were there before, but you just became more aware. That's the same with God. We become more aware of God when we recognize that God is there, that is present to us, right? Hagar had to get away from all the things going on in her life and the problems in her life to actually recognize that God was with her, that for the message to come to her, right? So God was with her. God was with her. And I want you to know that God is with you right now, right? My wife, and we actually say this, right, all the time. We say, God is with us. Uh, we often say that to one another. Oh, God's with us. God's with you. And we say that and do we really recognize it, right? My, my wife Heather and I were uh, watching a sunrise, just sunrise, sunset, sorry, sunset recently. And we're watching the sunset together over Crater Lake. And I think we've got a picture of that. And that's, this is a picture I took on my phone as we were watching the sunset. And we just sat there and watched it. We just watched this thing that happens every day. And a couple of things I noticed that one is you can see the sunset every day and but never really appreciate it, right? You can see it but not appreciate it. You can see it but not recognize it, even though it's there every single day, like God. God is there every single day, present to us. But in this moment, because we took the time to watch the sun set, I remember even as the sun dipped over the horizon that I got a little teared up because I felt God's presence again. I was reminded of God's presence and that whatever's going on in our lives, isolation, <laughs> quarantine, disease, wildfires, riots in our city, whatever is going on around us, there is a God who is with us. There is a God who is sustaining us. The world keeps spinning. The sun keeps coming up and down every single day because God created it and God sustains it and God is with us every day. The question is whether or not we recognize it, we appreciate it, we connect with God. We want you to know today, right now, that wherever you're at, that God sees you and God knows you. God sees you and knows you right now. Let's pray together.